0: Hello there and welcome to MMA Fight Club. I'm your host, Manny Galarza. Today we're going over PFL Challenger Series week number number three. Coming up on Friday the February, February the 10th, excuse me, Friday, at 9 p.m. Eastern Time. Only four bouts, so we're just talking about a few fights, not a a full-blown card type of thing. If you watch week one and week two, definitely some mixed reactions from most fans, especially with the selection process. We'll talk about that throughout this breakdown. I thought the PFL kind of did some, <clears throat> let's just say, some sideways things. They, they came sideways at a few of those fighters that probably should have gotten contracts. Anyway, all four fights feature guys that you probably haven't heard of with the exception of the main event where you got Danilo Marquez, who is a former UFC fighter, fought just recently, like last year, against Jalton uh, uh, Almeida. And he went 2-2 two and two in the UFC. Didn't do that bad, actually, but got let go, had another fight. Now here he is in here as a former lightweight trying to get himself a contract as a heavyweight, so we'll talk about that dynamic and how maybe this change could be a good change, bad change, I don't know, we'll see what happens. But he's my pick, by the way, Daniel Marquez, to get the contract, and I believe the stars are aligning for him to get the contract, even including the kind of opponent he has. If he doesn't get it, I think my man Alton Meeks could be in the running, and then my third choice, if I had to select him in order as to who can get the contract would probably default to Ross Hilton, because if Ross Hilton were to win over Danilo, Mar- Danilo Marquez, he would beat the guy that they're probably looking to take. And with Ross Hilton, he has some Bellator experience. Two guys in a card have former college football experience. I believe that would be Louis Sutherland and Hassan Graham. We'll get more into that when we get to their breakdowns. Let me get to some uh, real quick matters here for you guys. Number one, Google Drive. If you're not on it with us already, get on it. It's free. Look down below. You click that link for the Google Drive page. You go there, you'll see folders where we have our breakdown notes for every fight that we're talking about on this card, for our UFC fights, Bellator fights, whatever card breakdowns we're doing, it's in Word format, nice. You can download these Word documents, 100% free. You can't mess anything up. You can't do any editing anyway. Basic information of the fighters, striking stats, pros and cons, whatever we could kind of put together, like for example, in a card like this. our our breakdown sheet or our, our breakdown notes are fairly basic they're pretty straightforward nonetheless they're available for you absolutely free every day 365 all year long go to our Google Drive download our breakdown notes or just look at them if you're a capper just compare your notes to ours if you're just a casual fan you can access them just for your casual fan your betting needs maybe just like to do some casual reading whatever you want to use them for They're there for you. Number two, everything you hear here is also available via podcast. Please subscribe to our podcast. So if you're on the move, you don't want to be flicking around with your phone and try to get the video going and stuff, pull up MMA fight club, wherever you listen to your podcast, look for our yellow and black logo with the fist. And you can listen to pretty much everything you hear here or see here on our YouTube page, YouTube page, excuse me, on our podcast. One more thing, our Substack newsletter. If you haven't subscribed yet, what are you waiting for? Our Substack newsletter, and I'll tell you this, let me preface this first. I'm not a big newsletter guy myself, but I have a few that I'm subscribed to. It's usually like, you know, you subscribe in the beginning and then it's like, okay, it's enough of it. Or they're, they're sending you too much information, start spamming you. We don't spam you. <laughs> You'll get one to two emails per week with a message with a full card breakdown. Like for example, this card here for PFL Challenger Series week three. If you want the written format, maybe you're traveling on the way to work, on the bus and the train, whatever the, whatever the commute is for you. Maybe again, you like to do some reading. Sometimes you just wanna let your ears get a rest. Well, we have this breakdown in written format. It's on our Substack newsletter. If you've never heard of Substack, really cool. Free, free format for you there. No paywall, no Patreon, no paying for anything here. So subscribe to our Substack Newsletter. That one is really important. If you're going to subscribe to anything today, if you're going to get sold on anything I'm trying to sell you on this video, that's the one thing we really want you to do. Go down below in our description here on YouTube, look for that Substack Newsletter link, go over there, subscribe. And for example, today, at 9 a.m. this morning, at some point today, you're probably not hearing this at the same time that I'm recording it, but 9 a.m. this morning, the full card breakdown for UFC 284 will be released And at 9 o'clock a.m. it arrives in the inbox of all of our subscribers. And there you go. You get your full card breakdown written format. You can also go to the Substack website and read it there too under our page or under our platform, whatever you want to call it. There's also an app so you can use it on your phone. That's pretty dope. Full card breakdown will arrive at 9 o'clock a.m. this morning for UFC 284. Very detailed stats, the whole nine. Up to the moment odds. In that newsletter, you'll have the link for the full card breakdown via video, a reminder you can hear it on podcast, and of course, a link and a reminder to access the Google Drive notes if you want to see the raw notes on the breakdown. So now that we've talked shop, are you guys ready to break down PFL Challenger Series week number three? That little interlude was probably longer than this entire breakdown will be. We'll keep it short and sweet. There's not much to tell. One more thing from a betting perspective, We noticed that in Pennsylvania, New York, and New Jersey the last two weeks, they did not offer PFL, could not bet on it using DraftKings. Not sure why that is, will that trend continue, we'll see. Another trend actually to mention, one more thing, (laughs) the late replacements, or replacements in general, are undefeated so far. Last week, Jackie Catalina, whatever her name is, Jackie Catalina, whatever, she came in as a replacement, got the win, got the finish actually. Week number one, there were two replacements, they both won. There is a replacement on this card, and that replacement, I believe, is Pinson. So Pinson comes in as a replacement. Will that trend continue, and will we see the guy who's coming as replacement actually go ahead and get the W? Will we see someone get a decision win, get the contract, wink, wink, and other people who get a finish, not get a contract? All right, enough talking. Let's jump into it, guys. Here we go. According to my current schedule, this should be the first fight on the... Card for PFL week number three all heavyweights right we've got Louis Sutherland versus Alton Meeks now one common theme with all these fights very little experience level of competition usually PFL you tend to see big odds for this week we're going to chase a few dogs in some cases we have enough film to actually get a read some cases we don't <laughs> in this case here we do have just about enough film here Mr. Meeks is four one overall, and so is Louis. So both guys have five pro fights. Same record. They're both listed at six foot three, but based upon my calculations, I think that Mr. Louis Sutherland's a little bit shorter than Alton Meeks. So what I'm saying to you is the six foot three listing there on Tapology might be a tad bit inflated. As for each numbers in these two fighters, about the same. No gym listed for Alton Meeks. Louis trains out of Titan Fighter Gym. Mr. Sutherland's from Scotland, and he goes by the Vanilla Gorilla. <laughs> How many more gorillas can we have? Alton goes by Alton Murda, like you know, Murda with a D A at the end. Alton Murder Meeks, it's from Orlando, twenty-eight years old, twenty-nine for Louis. Both guys are just about at thirty, and again, size-wise, about the same. My notes on these two guys. Not much film again, so I have just a few notes in these two guys. For Louis, good finishing ability. All four of his pro wins have been by round one knockout. His only loss was by decision. Very active. He fought three times last year, and then fought twice 2021. So five fights like in the last two years. He earned a finish in his only amateur bout, so had a little bit of amateur experience and got a finish there. What are my concerns here for Mister Sutherland? Spelled S-U-T-H, by the way. I want to spell it like South, like Sutherland, but it's, it's S-U-T-H, Sutherland. He's a bit one-dimensional. you know. Based upon his resume, he appears to be a round one KO or bust type of fighter. Is that the case? It's kind of hard to tell that right now. It's a little early, but we see that based upon his early resume. His schedule. All right, so he's facing weak competition. And what I mean by weak competition, let me lay it out for you. One guy was one in four. Hey, whatever one dude was Owen one. Okay. Okay. And then one guy was two and 26 and that guy who was two and 26, he comes back around in this breakdown again. It's like Jay Ellis. Every time Jay Ellis, his names come comes up. I'm like how people are still fighting this guy. It's amazing. So again, that's two and 26. Oh, and one and one and four. The last three opponents that Mr. Louis Sutherland fought. So quality of competition. Not so much. The fighter that was 0-1, by the way, that fight's available, I believe, on YouTube. You watch that fight, and I got to tell you, I'm going to give you, you know, full disclosure here. When I first was watching, uh, first minute or so, I confused Louis for the other guy. <laughs> I thought the guy he was fighting, who was 0-1, was Louis Sutherland. I'm like, oh, he looks decent. You know, he's pretty big, landing a jab, He seems to be winning the fight, and then all of a sudden, the guy who I think is Louis Sutherland just gets knocked out by some random spinning backfist, kind of lucky, and I'm like, I run to my tapology. I'm like, wait a second, I thought he won the fight, and I'm like, oh, I had the wrong guy. Yeah, so go back and watch that fight. A a dude who's 0-1 hasn't fought since then (laughs) was beating Louis Sutherland, and he lands a very... It's, it wasn't lucky it was just very fortunate given the circumstances he was basically backing up borderline running <laughs> tries some spinning maneuver it lands highlight knockout half empty glass half full half lucky half skill you know that kind of thing so yeah schedule wise some questions and then size is my last concern for Louis Sutherland he he lists he's listed at six foot three. I don't think he's six for three. I think we're talking more like six for one, and I believe he will be undersized in most of his heavyweight bouts, right? Not just this one, but all of them. Now, Mr. Alton Meeks, Alton Murda Meeks, fought on Contender Series 2019, so going back about four years, goes up against Jorgen De Castro. Early on, looking okay. Things, things are going all right. And uh, it's going all right until he gets kicked in the leg. <laughs> Jorgen de Castro kicks him a few times, but it wasn't anything, you know, too cray cray. Then Castro kicks him with like <laughs> hard, pretty hard. And if you know de Castro, <laughs> excuse me, he kicks very hard. That's what the uh, <laughs> the things that he brings to the table. Excuse me. Nonetheless, he kicks the hell out of my man Meeks. And even though Meeks was doing well, had some clinch time against the fence, actually took down DeCastro at one point, but couldn't keep him down. He just goes to the ground holding his leg. Aladdin, four years ago. So he was sniffing the UFC. Of course, DeCastro would go on now fighting the UFC where he would be 0-3 and then be let go. From one standpoint, it's like, all oh, it means was right there on the cusp of making the UFC. On, on the other standpoint, he lost to a guy that couldn't hack it in the UFC, right? He went 3-0 as an amateur. You like that because right now we don't have much fighter film on these guys. We don't have much experience. So any experience you can get, the better. Now, based upon the broadcast, if you listen to some of the prior fights that he had, he had a wrestling background, specifically Roman Greco. And the rumor is the word in the street is that he was on the verge of making a potential Olympic team or competing for a national team. I don't know what those rankings are like. Every sport's different. Some sports, it's like, you know, the top two people make the Olympic team. And then everyone else after that, who's like top 100 are all competing for that spot. So you can say you're competing for Olympic team. Is it like that? I don't know. He has some wrestling ability. He's displayed it in prior fights. It's a little bit like he reminds me of Romanov or even Sergei Spivak, who just fought heavyweights who do have wrestling ability. And it's not a bad look because if you can get on top of a guy and you're big like that, it can be hard to get back up. Now, what are my concerns here for Alton Meeks? I was just kind of talking him up and he could wrestle, yada, yada. Well, number one, activity. He has fought one fight in the last three years. At his experience level, age and everything else, you would think he'd be in there two, three times a year instead of, you know, one time in a three-year window. So that's not great. And then his schedule, which is a common theme for all the fighters, you know, only one of the opponents he fought in his prior schedule of all the prior people he fought, only one of them has a winning record, and that would be DeCastro, the person he lost against. All right. Some more notes here in these two fighters. So we like Alton Meeks to win by first round ground and pound. That's our prediction, that he somehow drags Louis to the ground, takes advantage of him, lays on him, smothers him. Sutherland's an orthodox fighter, which means he's a right-handed fighter. He has a short jab. He doesn't use it to land. He just uses it as sort of like a distraction, just to sort of paw at his opponent, get his timing down. He's always undersized. He's a smaller heavyweight. Again, listed as six foot three, but I'd be willing to wager he's not six foot three. The base question we have about him is the quality of opponents. We talked about it before. His last three opponents: two and twenty-six, zero and one, one and four. Just not good competition. It's damn near impossible to evaluate fighters. I would just say, forget about this sport. Any sport. Imagine you're trying to evaluate a, a boxer a basketball team, whatever, and they're just playing completely subpar opponents. It just becomes a, a little bit of a guessing game because what they do well against these lower opponents, that may not translate, right? <laughs> so against the opponent that was Owen, one I mentioned before, he struggled, showed some issues, he ends up getting the victory, whatever, whatever. As for Meeks, he lost on contender series against DeCastro. De Castro ends up getting cut by the UFC a few fights later. He's got some wrestling in his background, played some college football. You know, he's he's an athlete, right? He's got an athletic background. He's got solid MMA wrestling, too, which separates him in a division like this or in a, in a class of fighters like this where they're all just trying to break in, right? Now, here's a little side thing note for you that I came across, which I forgot about. When he was on Contender Series, he was a minus 900 favorite. Yeah, minus 900 favorite when he lost against DeCastro. And when I heard on the broadcast he was a favorite, a big favorite, I looked back back at the numbers and I said to myself, good lord. This is indicative of the PFL Challenger Series, Dana White Contender Series, these big favorites. I think one thing I might wanna start trying is, just as an experiment, is take a, a specific unit amount and bet that amount on all the dogs for every single Challenger Series. So let's just say you take $10, bet it on every single dog, and just see where you finish up at the end of the night. Something tells me if you play that strategy in the long haul, you might end up being plus money because so many of the dogs do lose. In that case, yeah, Meeks was minus 900 Favorite gets finished in round number one. DeCastro was like a plus 600 underdog in that spot. Kind of crazy, right? He did start the fight off well, though. He was starting to fight off good against DeCastro until he got his leg kicked, and then that was all she wrote. So Meeks should have a size advantage over Sullivan. Meeks, if he can get in close and get his paws around Sullivan, he should be able to drag the fight to the ground. He'll be bigger, heavier, lay on top of him. So, Sullivan's going to have a hard time getting out from beneath of him if that happens. You know what I'm saying? <clears throat> we do not see the fight going the full distance. Now consider this. A PFL contract on a the line, they both know that. It would, I'd imagine a finish would be part of the requirement, wink, wink, get a contract. For Meeks, he's been in a situation before. He has this experience or this stress of, like, I've got to perform. I'm trying to earn a contract. Tenor series, right? Didn't get it done. So here's the second time for him. I think that experience will help him. He knows what's at stake. He understands the pressure, so on and so on. A decision win just may not cut it. So I'm just saying, between two heavyweights, they know it's on the line. We probably see a finish. I would imagine we see a finish in all four bouts this card actually. The contract winner needs to put on a dominant performance. So that's another part of it. A finish may not be enough. Let's say it's a late third round finish. It's boring. Both guys are kind of tired. It's sluggish. May not be enough, right? So it needs to also be a very impressive finish. Something that kind of gets the attention of the judges and the celebrity judges and Ray Sefo and so on and so on. Anyway, with all that said, there's pressure to finish the fight. I think that's why also the fight does not go full distance. The bets we like for this fight are at minus 160, Meeks just on the money line straight up. Not a bad play. My personal belief, he's the better fighter. He should win. I like him. So straight up on the money line, not a bad play. The spots we also like are the under two and a half rounds and Meeks into the distance. Now, here's the issue with this fight and the lines. The last two weeks, yeah, first two weeks of uh, contender series, we have not seen lines out for this fight on DraftKings over here in the Northeast United States, like no nothing in New York, Pennsylvania, New Jersey. So prop bets are definitely not available, but just kind of putting it out there, some of these betting spots we're going to talk about tonight, they may not become available. We may not be, may not be able to get any action on them before the fight kicks off. So that's the breakdown of this first fight in the card. Let's move on. Again, we're choosing... Mr. Meeks to win the fight into the distance, most likely within round one. On the the ground, ground and pound. Here we go. Let's move on. All right, moving up the card. Next fight's going to be between Abraham Babley and Hassan Graham. Of course, all these fights are heavyweight bouts, but I'm just reminding you. For this fight right here, we're going to pick Babley to win by a decision. Unfortunately, we see this fight playing out kind of slow at times, maybe even being a little boring or uneventful. If you've seen Abraham Babley fight before, you could see why that might be the case. We'll discuss that if we break down this fight. But again, we're on Abraham Babley to win the fight by, deci- by decision, and that's our pick. As for the particulars of these two fighters, Babley is 2-0, Hassan is 1-0. Both guys have a few amateur bouts in their record. Babley is the big favorite here, sitting around minus 300 to minus 325. He hails from England, 5'10", in height with a 74-inch reach, and he's out of Manchester top team. Very good gym over there, excuse me, across the pond. As for Hassan Graham, former college football player, played some linebacker in college, so he's been an athlete his whole life. Not as much information on him and a lot less film as well. We were able to pull up three or four fights for Badly. We were only able to see like one short fight for Hassan and then part of another fight. But Hassan is 1-0, also does have some amateur experience, and he is a big underdog out of Massachusetts. We don't have any size particulars on him. Though having watched film, he's going to be the taller guy. He has the more natural heavyweight frame. I could maybe even make an argument that Babley could find his way find his way down to light heavyweight if he, you know, really worked at trying to cut the weight. All right, some basics on these two guys for Babley. PFL last year. That's kind of a big deal. You know what I mean? Fought in the PFL, got a win. It was during the playoffs. It was one of those bouts that was like not part of the playoffs, but like on the undercard. So he got that win. It was over southernfield So he has that bit of experience uh, underneath his belt. Let me get to my write-up in this fight here. So, we, again, we like badly by decision. Graham's been an athlete all his life, played some college football. He went 4-0 and as an amateur. He won a split decision, though, as an amateur over a fighter that's currently 0-1 as a pro. That same fighter went 5-4 and as an amateur, I believe. And uh, he went to split decision against that guy. So that's not a great look. Again, amateur, but still not a great look. From the small amount of film you saw on, on him, he throws with power, serious power in his hands, big, normal heavyweight frame. But that's about all we can tell. We didn't see a lot of film on him. Didn't see him on the ground. Don't know how he's going to respond here to Babby, who likes to do grappling, likes to work into the hips. So Hassan should have the size advantage and maybe even the punching power advantage in this matchup. But does he have the cardio to maintain whatever Babby's going to bring at him for round two and round three? we've seen Babby go the full distance. Just saw it last year. We know he's got the cardio to do it. Does Hassan. Now for Babby, we mentioned before, had the PFL win last year. That's a big advantage from an emotional standpoint, mental standpoint. He's been through this before. He knows some of the people in the PFL, so on and so on. So he comes back now this year after beating Sutherland Sutherland, excuse me, last year. Now, Sutherland's fighting another fight on this card. And I hate to use these words because I can't find any other words to describe it. But the PFL's kind of recycling some trash here. If you look at that fight just in a vacuum, Sutherland versus Babley, what about that fight would make you as a matchmaker think – Bring him back. Um, Badly, again, should be fighting down light heavyweight. That's where he'd be more effective. He's not going to have finishing power at this weight class. He's just not that big of a guy. Um, and then for Southernfield, yeah, I wasn't impressed either. He lost that fight. But for some reason, PFL's bringing him back. Um, so, yeah, a bit of recycling the trash here. I don't see either one of these guys actually being on the radar for the PFL. And I'll touch upon that later on after we get through the breakdowns. But I don't think they're on the radar at all. They're just kind of fillers. You know, basically, they're just here for entertainment. In any case, he got that win last year. He did some wrestling, made some wrestling attempts, had some success with it, got tired at times. And when he would get tired, his wrestling would not be as effective. But then he would just lean on Southern against the fence and just chew up clock and win position control, in essence, and just look better on the optics for the judges. So it wasn't like this glamorous win, but he did just enough, used his grappling. At one point, the commentators were snickering about how the fight was was uneventful. Um, I think they said something like, well, if you missed round two, you didn't miss anything or something of that nature. Anyway, he won the fight clearly. Um, and now he's back here again for his second round um, in the PFL, the Challenger Series. Now, some more notes here. Should he be this much of a favorite? That question I had to ask myself. A minus 300 favorite for a guy who decision win last year over a little of opponent. So that doesn't make any sense (laughs) with most PFL cards. We see these like huge favorites from betting perspective. That's going to cue us to go in the other direction because it just doesn't make a lot of sense. We may put Babby into a parlay, but minus 300. Yeah, uh, just just doesn't make any sense. Babby has displayed a lack of finishing ability. So that's one big thing already that if you're fighting him, you don't have to worry as much about. So for Hassan. He can maybe be a little more aggressive with his strikes. Doesn't have to worry about getting countered. Doesn't have to worry about the power that Badly has. That's one thing. And then Badly has displayed that he can slow down. So he'll wrestle you, but he's not going to overwhelm you and then take you down and submit you as the fight goes on. You know, he sort of just uses grappling as a technique to eat up the clock, trip the time, and win position, not finish you, right? So we're going Badly to win the fight by a slow decision unfortunately probably not going to be enough to get a contract, right? Wouldn't be enough. Any decisions on this card, I would imagine for heavyweights shouldn't be enough to get a, a contract. But then again, you know, PFL, go do some PFL stuff. They did give out contracts the last two weeks to two fighters that had decisions while they had other fighters in the card that had finishes, you know, go figure. What are you going to do? The bets we'd like to this fight are Hassan on the money line at plus 250. And I'm hoping people keep putting money on badly. Go ahead, do it. Uh, I don't get it, (laughs) but plus 250, we're going to get a piece of that Hassan by KO. Is that prop available yet? No, but when it does become available, we'll take a glance. And then badly on the money line at minus 325, strictly as a one parlay piece to maybe a two, three legger um, that we'll do on this card. He's got the tools to win. Not going to be exciting. We'll see what happens here. I'm hoping that my analysis is a bit off. There is something called variance, um, and the variance could be like a 30 second knockout from Mr. Hassan. Could happen, it's heavyweights, anything's possible. But based upon the recent track record, you can see why we kind of concluded why we could see round two, round three, and possibly even a decision win by babby That's your breakdown guys, let's move on to the next fight. All right, this next fight right here, I'm not really sure I'm even breaking down the right fight, and I'll explain to you why. There's been some changes, and changes are happening by the moment. It's 6:40 a.m. Eastern Time on Wednesday the week of the fight at the time of that I'm recording this video. And over the last 30 minutes or so there's been a few changes and I'm not sure which one reflects the actual final change. The fight was supposed to be Greg Velasco versus Vitor Resende. That was the originally scheduled bout. During the breakdown at some point in the middle of the night like 5:30 or so in the morning, I see that the bout is canceled. And so I'm fishing around to see who's the replacement. But now I'm getting conflicting information. If you go to PFL's Twitter page, for example, recent tweets, they have a tweet there, the tweet that went out a day or so ago, with Resende fighting Pinson, okay? Not Greg Velasco fighting Vitor. But if you go on Tapology right now, it's got Greg Velasco fighting Isaiah Pinson, (laughs) So is it Resende who's the person who's backed out the fight, or can't make it, or is it Velasco? I'm not sure. What I can tell you is I spoke to a fighter two weeks ago. We did an interview with him. It'll be coming out soon. And he's from Brazil, and so is Resende. And he explained that there was troubles getting here. And so that was the reason why his fight, you know, ended up getting canceled. Velasco's an American fighter. He's based out of Jersey. It'd be easy for him to take a quick flight down to Orlando. So I don't imagine he's having any traveling issues. It would probably be Resende, but again, according to PFL right now. And a matter of fact, one more thing: let's go to PFL's website and see what they currently have up there. I would imagine at this point right now, it's it's Wednesday morning. You know, they they should be able to have this updated, right? So whatever's there now, I would imagine would have to be probably the the the, the expectation. Let's take a look at it. Thank you for your patience, guys. I know this turned more into like a podcast, a talk radio show instead of a breakdown, but I want to make sure we get it right. So right now, according to PFL's website, it's Resende versus Pinson. We'll do a little bit of a quasi breakdown for both. Okay. We'll start with the Isaiah Pinson versus Greg uh, versus uh, (laughs) Resende breakdown. Okay. We'll compare those two guys. Not much information on this Vitor Resende guy. He's undefeated at 4-0. Is based out of American top team. I thought that was a huge like bonus. And a matter of fact, now that I'm bringing it up, I guess he's not having any traveling issues. (laughs) He's not in, uh, he's not in uh, Brazil. So that goes out the window. So Vitor out of ATT, huge guy, six foot nine in height. If that's accurate, it's on topology. Doesn't mean it's accurate. 32 years old and change. So still quite young for the heavyweight division. And uh, we'll have a clearly a height and reach advantage. And if he's training, in fact, an American top team, undefeated prospect, he's around some good fighters. Do you imagine he's getting the work in? Okay. He's going to have the reach advantage here over Pinson. Let me look at Pinson's numbers right now. Pinson is, there's no reach number or height number on him, but I imagine he's not probably six foot nine, right? <laughs> so you imagine Vitor working from range, get his hands out there. I'm not sure how high the PFL is on VTOR. He is coming from a good gym. They've got other fighters in the PFL that are from that gym. So not sure. Maybe they know something about this guy that we don't know. He had several amateur bouts. So when you combine them all together, he went 5-0 and undefeated, has good size, has a good finish rate. Of his amateur and pro fights combined, he's got five total finishes, three TKOs, two submissions. Our concerns for him, like most fighters in this card, competition. The record of his last four professional opponents, his total four professional opponents, four and two, seven and four, two and four, and zero and two. Combined record of thirteen and twelve. That's not really like an indicator that he sucks or that he's not fighting good competition. Like because he put this way, he just started his career. He he needs to get himself going, right? But still, he's not fighting very you know good fighters. So we don't know much about him yet. Another concern is activity. He did not fight at all last year. <clears throat> So Vitor Resende, based out of you know Coconut Creek, he's in the United States, traveling shouldn't be an issue, for some reason was off the whole year. Could have been an injury, could have been a lot of things. Looking at his topology, which again is not the end all, you don't see any fights that were scheduled there for him last year that were canceled. So again, not sure what the uh, the layoff was about. Okay, as for Mr. Pinson, first name Isaiah, he went 1-0 as an amateur before going pro last year, so very new pro professional experience. Finishing ability. He finished his only one mixed martial arts bout as a pro by submission, and he also finished his amateur bout by TKO, I believe, right? So one TKO, one submission. He fought twice last year and actually had a third bout scheduled, so activity-wise, these guys got on the other sides of the spectrum. Isaiah fought twice last year, was trying to get a third fight in. My man Vitor didn't fight at all last year. The replacements Remember that movie the replacements with the, the football guys I, I gotta watch that movie again that's kind of like it's a cute movie kind of brings you back some nostalgia well the replacements have been winning okay Isaiah Pinson is the only replacement fighter that we know of so far for this fight card though we have still got plenty of time if if uh, the trend continues then he's due to get the win because last weekend the replacement was Jackie Catalina I believe the first week was st. Louis Kenley St. Louis, I can't forget that name because I don't know how he didn't get the contract. And then another guy in week one, there was two replacements, but all three replacements so far in the first two weeks have won. That bodes well here for our man, Isaiah Pinson. We have no lines available for this matchup, Pinson versus Vitor, because uh, this has just been ever-changing. It's a fluctuating thing. uh, Moving parts. What do they say when it's a news story? It's like it's a it's an ongoing investigation or something. We can't comment. Um, there's a lot of moving you know, things going on. Anyway, now, if you go to Tapology, you're going to see Isaiah Pinson at 1-0 squaring off against Greg Velasco, who goes by the Viking King out of Union Beach, New Jersey. Let me pull up my notes on Mr. Velasco, because when I was doing the initial breakdown of this fight, Halo story, I was doing the original breakdown and I had already gone through Greg Velasco. I looked at all his stuff and I was like, oh, all into it. I was getting over to Vitor, and that's when I found the issue of the fight being changed. So I had some notes in this guy. Let's talk about Velasco first. Southpaw. That's number one. Grappling is where he has some advantages, does a good job, built like a grappler. Like really stocky, strong, looks like a Viking. He goes by the Viking King. That's a great nickname. Has the the hair. He reminds me of a UFC guy. And I just could not put my 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 finger on the name of it, but it's a, it's a guy who's got a similar physique in him, and hair and everything. His fighting experience, pretty good fighting experience. He had five pro bouts so far, and he's five and zero, oh, right? Okay, whatever. But they were all in CFC, and that's a very good promotion. If you don't know that promotion, one fighter I know who went through there was Patrick Sabatini, who's currently in the UFC. I'm gonna just guess, like, let's say there's probably like five to seven people in the UFC. That have fought through CFFC at some point, regional promotion, Northeast United States, like from Ohio to like up in New York and whatnot. But good competition. So all five of his fights were in that promotion. I should rephrase that. Good promotion. The competition level. <laughs> we'll talk a little bit about that. As an amateur, he had a split decision loss to Hamdi Abdallah Wahab. <laughs> Hamdi Abdallah Wahab. Why am I bringing this guy's name up? Hamdi Damdi. I can't remember. I can't forget this guy because he he cost me a ticket that night, too. He fought last year in the UFC. He made his debut, this Hamdi character. He was an underdog, and he got the win, right? Big spot for him. And then pop for the for the gear, for the juice. He was on the juice. So if you go to his tapology, it says no contest. Um, Nonetheless, that's who Hamdi is. So when you're just kind of putting things together here, we don't have a long history for Mr. Velasco, but he's been fighting some, you know, a UFC caliber guy, even as an amateur, right? Finish rate. He's finished four of his first five pro fights. Very good. Last fight was a decision, but first four, got her done. Submissions. He has five submission wins between his amateur and pro record. Am I starting to put together a scope for you of what this guy does? He's a wrestler, a grappler. He's six foot two. I think he's more like six foot. (laughs) It says six two on topology. I think he's more like six foot. He is definitely vertically challenged for the weight class. And, you know, wears a lot of his weight in his middle area, not fat wise, just like he's just stocky, like a like an old school middle linebacker, like a Zach, Zach Tom Zach Johnson, is that the guy I'm thinking of? Very stocky, super, you know, thick arms, impressive physique. Uh, it's just, you know. It's not a bodybuilding contest, right? If it was a bodybuilding contest, maybe we could get some extra points for that. But his physique looks like it reduces his ability sometimes to move with fluidity. He's not robotic. That would be not appropriate to say that because he looks like he's flexible. He's, you know, good physiology. It's just, you know, it's a lot to carry around. And, uh, oh, I'm thinking of that female fighter who's like that. She's very like, like, like Jin Yu Fry. Like Jinny Fry is, you know, she's not a bad fighter, but man, she she's so bulky. She's so stocky and so strong. And he's got a little bit of that going on here. So and again, I don't think he's six foot two. I'm I'm willing to say he's no taller than no taller than six feet and a half, maybe, right? So those are your like particulars on Velasco. Oh, one more thing. The the competition, right? So CFC, good promotion. Like I said, Northeast, pretty good fighters. But the fighters he was fighting in there when I took a little deeper of a dive. I wasn't as impressed. Now, one guy was nine and seven overall, okay. You know, another one was one and two, two and three, three and five, three and three. Combined record eighteen and twenty. And you know, again, early part of your career, you're going to be fighting people that are tend to be not the best. Hopefully, right, to give yourself some time to grow. Um, just putting it in perspective, though, he hasn't fought amazing competition. And I think when you look at some of those fights and you put that in your head of like, well, these are lower level fighters. You know, you, you, I think you walk away at times feeling a little underwhelmed at what he's doing, how he gets a little fatigue looking, and just the overall product. It's a little bit raw. But Velasco, if he were to fight this fight, <laughs> he has a good opportunity to win. I think he's going to do some grappling and have a chance against Vitor. Who are my picks to win? So let's do both fights. If Greg Velasco is going to fight Isaiah Pinson, I'm taking Pinton. If for no other reason, because I think Velasco has size limitations, I think that he's a one-trick pony. He's going to have to do some grappling. His striking is super raw. His arms are shorter. If Pinton has any kind of a distance game, striking game, kicking game, could win that battle. And, heck, the replacement fighters have been winning. So I would go with Pinson over Velasco. Money line wise and betting-wise, Subscribe to our newsletter and you'll get the full tip sheet absolutely free. That gets to you 24 to 48 hours before the event. It arrives via the same email that you would receive if you got our newsletter. All run through Substack. So like we're not emailing you from our servers over here at MA Fight Club. It goes all through Substack on a nice schedule. But anyway, we would give you the picks for this fight along with the lines and what's available. That would come out, you know, 24 to 48 hours before the event. We don't have those lines available now for this fight. But we would take pins into that matchup. Now, let's say it's going to be Pinson versus Resende okay and we went over that breakdown a second ago we went over Vitor versus Resende which we have like nothing on it we just know he's a really tall dude training at a good gym Brazilian undefeated like you know he checks a few of the boxes but that's all we have and we have no film so when it comes to a character like that you know there's not much to go off but we're going to say that if Isaiah Pinson fights Vitor Isaiah wins that fight too okay all about the replacements here so Isaiah Pinton, buddy, bring your bring your gloves, bring your A game. We're getting behind you. What will the lines look like? I'm going to imagine that no matter who Isaiah Pinton is going to be pitted against here, he'll come in as his underdog, right? Because he's he's a replacement. Um, you know, he's got less experience. Greg's got Greg Velasco's five and zero. Vitor's four and zero. And you got Isaiah with just one pro fight at one zero. Let's say he's like plus. 250 plus 300 plus whatever anything in that range, great. We're taking a stab at it. If he comes in like plus 155, plus 175, he's still plus money. We might play it still. We just may not be as excited about it <laughs> because it's not as much, you know, plus money. And it would also suggest that maybe he's better than will be. No, he should come in here as a plus 255 to plus 275 underdog, right off the rip, and then close around plus 300 to plus 350. That's what I expect to see happen and we're going to play him because it's all about the replacements. So that's your breakdown for the Greg Velasco versus Isaiah Pinson and Isaiah Pinson versus Vitor Resende fight. We'll see what happens here, guys. You know, the PFL is going to PFL. Here's an example of it. Let's move on. Okay. Last fight on the card, at least last fight, according to the schedule, we're going to have Danilo Marquez versus Ross Hilton. Again, I had to out, 265 pounders, Marquez, you might recognize the name, is a former UFC fighter. We'll talk a little bit about that when we go over his background. i give you the pick right now to get out the way. We like Marquez to win the fight by submission. The reason why I chuckle is because I, I don't have a lot of confidence in him in this spot. There's some question marks. We're going to talk about them. But the official pick for those who have to move forward, Marquez by submission. All right, let's talk here more about these two fighters. So for Marquez, let's look at him first. Went two and two in the UFC before getting let go last year. Just last year. He lost to Almeida. Got kind of beat up by Almeida, but Almeida does that to people. That guy's a freaking nature. Now, in prior fights, the other three fights he fought in the UFC, lost by a knockout in round three to Kennedy Ninjuku, was winning that fight, was actually winning the first two rounds, and then obviously won the other two fights. So held his own from our standpoint in the UFC. And of course, the PFL wants former UFC guys, right? He'll need to use his grappling. That's where he gets most of his best work done. Backpacking guys, looking for submissions. He should have the grappling edge in this matchup, right? He's the much shorter, more compact guy from Brazil. Has the, you know, jiu-jitsu background. Now, Ray Hilton will look to work at range. Marquez is going to have to close the distance and will have to work hard at it because Hilton is like six, foot six in height. Very tall guy. In terms of the... Wait, I want to talk about this. So my man Marquez has been fighting at lightweight for more or less his entire career. He's moving up now to heavyweight. Just some theories for you. Is he moving up to heavyweight as part of a deal with the PFL Like they were like, listen, we got enough light heavyweights. We need more heavyweights. If You make this move. We'll put you in a spot to win. You'll get the contract. Give you a good opponent. So on and so on. And he's like, listen, you know what? If you have no room in light heavyweight right now, I'll take a crack at it. I'll give it a try. Here's the issue, though. He's he's a light heavyweight frame. He's not a heavyweight frame guy, and he will come in under that 265. How much? I'm going to guesstimate somewhere in the upper 220. So I, I guess he comes in somewhere like around 220, 225 at the light end, up upwards around 228, 229 in the high end. It's just a lot of weight because the guy he's fighting here is not a beefy guy, but Hill is 6 foot 6. He's got a heavyweight frame on him. So I just don't love this and I just have a lot of questions like why make this move? Is it a contractual thing? Um, you know, it just doesn't seem like the best move for him. But maybe he's got to deal with the PFL or something. I don't know. Just some question marks there for me. In terms of him being a former UFC fighter, do not discount that. The PFL, they have a marketing department, they understand biggest organization in the world, UFC. It matters, especially when it comes time to end of the night. They come to vote. So they have to figure out who they're going <clears> to <throat> select. So I think if Marquez wins by decision or by TKO, great performance or not, I think he gets the contract. And I'm comparing this to last week, of course, when we saw Amanda Levi or Amanda Levy get a contract. She was in the main event. They were pumping her up ahead of time. She had a good fight. <laughs> it was a close fight. He had other fighters on that card who got finishes and didn't get the contract. So I think Marquez is kind of destined to get the contract. Now, as for Ross Hilton, very athletic, especially for a tall guy. Six foot six, good footwork, and pretty fast hands. Again, all within the context, this guy's a pretty big man. Hilton has a lot of experience, a lot more than most challenger series fighters have. When you look at these guys who are on the show, it's like 4-1, and 2-1, and 1-0, one, one and oh, making their debut type of thing. Not this guy has about 18 total mixed martial arts fights under his belt. He went one on one Bellator. He needs to drag the fight out to round two and three. Marquez early on when he's full of energy, submission you know dangerous with submissions. That's when I believe Hilton will be at his you know biggest risk. He gets himself into round two or three, works at range, manages his cardio. That's where we've seen Marquez have some problems, specifically the Gen- the Kennedy Njoku fight. I watched that fight. Round one and two, you see that he gets the backpack, gets position control, gets down Ninjuku, wins those two rounds. End of round two, he makes a little strategic mistake, a little lapse, <coughs> excuse me, lapse in judgment, and gets tagged up. <coughs> slightly buzzed, but okay. Comes to the corner, comes back out round three, and I guess he was still buzzed, gets tagged up. It's a fast stoppage did like the stoppage. It was on his feet, but he wasn't returning fire, got overwhelmed, and he looked a little fatigued as well. So I'm thinking if you're a guy like you know Mr. Hilton here, take the fight to round two, take the fight to round three. Maybe you drop round one like Ninjuku did and you get backpack. I mean, heck, Ninjuku dropped round one and two. Round three comes back out, gets the finish. That's my advice for Hilton if you're listening. <laughs> Hilton will throw nice combinations. He's not a high-volume striker, but at times he'll let his hands go. At the end of the combination, he drops a nice, big, long kick, usually to the midsection. Doesn't do it a lot, but when he does do it, it's nice at the end of that combination. You imagine at range, six six. he's going to have the edge. It's going to be hard for Marquez to tag him when there's like that much of a reach advantage, right? Now, under pressure, here's one big issue that we have with Hilton, something we saw in film that kind of didn't like. If you pressure him with strikes, like a barrage of strikes, he'll do the balling up thing and balling up, head down, a bit of panic. At least it looked that way. I don't know if that's going to rear its ugly head in this fight because I don't see Marquez as the kind of guy who's going to like step forward and do a bunch of you know kicking or a lot of volume. That's not really part of his game though he does do it at times if he feels like he's got somebody hurt. For Hilton, this balling up thing, you know, maybe it's something he got out of of his system, but we saw it in some prior fights, and it just doesn't look good in the scorecards. If we go to the scorecards, they're already favoring this guy, Marquez. You're doing some of this balling up stuff. It could look just bad enough to lose some part of a round or rounds in this fight. Though it's the main event, it's still only three rounds, right? Just want to clarify that. So we're going with Marquez to win the fight. Because of his UFC experience, submission ability, and the PFL's narrative, right? They want this guy to win. The fact that both fighters have... Excuse me, got a frog in my throat. The fact that both fighters have so much experience, you know, like 18 fights on one side. Marquez has 16 fights on his side, right? And I say 18 for Hilton. You're probably saying, it's not 18, it's 15. If you go look at his resume, he's got a few additional bouts there. I believe the additional ones would be amateur just double checking. I'm going to make sure I cross my T's and dot my eyes. Amateur bouts. Yeah. He's got three of them. So 16 plus three whatever, or 15 plus three. You got it. He's got about 18, 19 bouts or toes. So both guys have experience. Let me finish my point here. They have experience a lot more than typical fighters on this show. That's an indicator, just a little indicator. Doesn't mean it tells us the whole story, but it's an indicator that the winner of this fight will probably be looked at as the most valuable winner of all the fights of the night. And I'm explaining this to you because we think we're watching a show where everyone's in the same playing field and whoever wins the most exciting way gets the contract. That's sort of the terminology that you understand how the contender series works. Not so much with this. It looks as if, and you could tell from the post-fight selection process when they're selecting who they're going to take, the language is specific. Like, well, we think this fighter will, um, you know, we like the you know efforts of both, but for right now we feel like this. I spoke to Thaddeus Gene, bad Gene, a few days after he won his contract, and I kind of bold, frontly asked him, like, you know, how do you feel about getting the contract when you got a decision win versus a person you were competing with who got a submission win? Is it because you're more marketable? Is it your undefeated record? And he he said, yeah. He said, there's a whole, whole, whole picture here. This is professional sports, marketing and tickets, all this matters. And we thought that same way about Amanda Levi going into last week because she was the one who had the internet following. She submitted some men on the mat, you know, just kind of in the gym. It went viral. That's how she sort of got her claim, you know, to fame, got her name out there. Yeah, PFL is a business. (laughs) They're running a business. So in this situation here, two fighters with a lot of experience, you imagine the winner of the fight, even if it's a super close decision and it goes, let's say, to Hilton, who PFL would rather get the other guy from the UFC, they still get Hilton, who is a former Bellator fighter. So we've got that in the resume. And a guy with a lot of experience. And they can rationalize and say, well, we're going to take Hilton over, let's just say, another guy here. Let's say... Um, this guy, Hassan Hassan Graham, former linebacker, he gets a knockout in his fight, but then main event, Hilton gets himself a split decision win, and the, and, and the PFL comes out, and fan vote is one way, and the celebrity vote's another way, and we get the CEO coming out again, doing his thing, and making a decision, and probably saying something like, oh, you know, we've had a lot of good fights tonight, It's so not an not a easy decision. But based upon the experience, and the track record, he's been in Bellator, we're going to go with Hilton. Or based upon the track record, you know, he's got a UFC background, he's fought some of the best in the world. Uh, you know, we, we feel like he's going to do better in this division, we're going to go with Marquez. I'm going to say my last piece on this and get off this point because you could sort of sense by my tone and the way I'm talking about it that it's a bit of a thorn in my ass. <laughs> and I guess what it is, I'm too much of a purist on how I'm looking at this show. I'm thinking of this show as we're on an even playing field. We all have a chance at a contract. If I get a finish, I'm ahead of the totem pole than you. You get a decision. You're behind me. And maybe I'm just sub-trained by the, or, or subliminally trained by Dana White and Tennis Series as to like how this thing should go. Anyway, that's not what's happening here. These are These chips are being lined up a certain way. For example... My opinion, just an opinion, I don't believe that, for example, Louis Sutherland is the kind of fighter that they're actually really going to look to consider taking. And the same thing with Abraham Babley. Those two guys fought last year on a PFL card. I think they're just bringing them back in here because they don't have many other options. And they're just going to be recycled for now. If you had to ask me, like if we're just talking in a boardroom, who are the three guys we're looking at here? We're looking probably the first one, like I mentioned before, would be Marquez. I think Marquez is the first guy you're looking at. I think a close second is Alton Meeks and then maybe Ross Hilton because he had some Bellator experience. My allergies are a mess. Okay, let me wrap this up, guys. So I know I got a little long-winded there, but I hope I at least also covered the aspect of how this show works and you know what's going on here. Um, in any case, final thought on that, Getting former Bellator fighters, getting former UFC fighters, bringing them over to the PFL. Can you blame the PFL? Like, This just, just makes perfect business sense, right? And as the saying goes, don't hate the player, hate the game. They're just playing within the rules, right? The betting spots we like the most for this fight are the under two and a half rounds, Marquez by submission, and Hilton on the money line at plus 325 range. We're going to definitely take a stab And all the dogs. Matter of fact, we'll talk about that in our summary. We have a nice little technique we're going to try this week with PFL and see if that works out for us. But that's our pick. We're going Marquez. Not a ton of confidence. We could see him having a hard time adjusting to the size and making a mistake or two. He did it before against a taller fighter. We could also see him submitting his opponent early on, who Ross Hilton just hasn't shown a great amount of, let's say, resistance to good submissions and hasn't had a very up-and-down career. And obviously at 9-6, just hovering above 500. That's your breakdown, guys. We'll move into the summary. And uh, let's go. There's your breakdown for PFL Challenger Series week number three. Unfortunately, I expect there to be a few more changes before the actual card happens. So this breakdown's being done midweek, Tuesday, Wednesday. It'll be out on Wednesday. By the time Friday comes around, it'll be outdated. We'll have a bunch of changes. And this will be all for naught, right? Hopefully not. Let's, just, let's hope this thing keeps together. We see no last-minute changes and we get the four fights we expect as of course we went through one fight that we're not even sure who's gonna be fighting in that fight but we covered both sides so we'll see what happens don't forget to like and subscribe if you haven't subscribed already to this channel and you want more of these breakdowns you like our content interviews with fighters got a few live shows throughout the week so please subscribe to our channel please like this video also we mentioned before different things we've got going on the substack newsletter subscribe to that please 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 we need you to follow our newsletter it's got great content We want as many subscribers as possible. It's free, 100% for free. There's no paying aspects, no paywalls, no PayPal, no paying for anything. Follow us on Twitter. Follow us on Instagram. Take advantage of our free notes on Google Drive. That's also that link is available down below. You'll see that link, and you can go ahead and download our notes. They're free for all the fights we break down. We give you guys a written breakdown newsletter, video breakdown like this, And then the last frontier is the podcast. So when you're laying down at nighttime, you just want to hear my soothing voice talk about mixed martial arts and give you the last little nuggets of information about the fights and the breakdowns. You can pop on the podcast. Wherever you listen to your podcast, just look up MMA Fight Club. Look for our yellow and black logo. Subscribe, add it to your library. Totally free. Free, free, free. Anyway, just a review of our picks for this card or our quick pick segment or swift pick segment, excuse me. We like Danilo Marquez in the main event to win by submission. Isaiah Pinton coming in on late notice, probably get to finish. <laughs> we like Abraham Babley to win by decision, though Hassan Graham, the NF or not NFL player, former college football player, got some hands. We'll we'll like what we see from him. We'll we'll expect to see some some effort at least, right? And then the first fight in the card, Louis Sutherland versus Alton Meeks. We like Meeks to get the win there by some kind of a ground and pound. So, again, we like Meeks, Badly, Pinson, and Danilo Marquez. Those are your picks for Challenger Series week number three. Thank you for joining us, and we'll see you guys soon.